John chapter six. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that, seesaw, that's funny. Oh gosh, I should probably pray first. I'm gonna read, keep reading. There was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Lord God, as we open up this message today, pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would melt our hearts, help us to fall in love with Jesus more, appreciate what you've done for us, and live differently in this world in a way that honors you. So fill us with the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer once said, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. And I would agree. Because what you believe about God will radically shape and change your life for better or for worse. There's been the thought through uh, different authors, different books, um, that if God doesn't exist, that everything is permitted. That if God doesn't exist, then there's nothing, no, no moral standard that's universal, that everyone can appeal to. And so anytime that people act, it's kind of just like evolutionary biology. You can look at it, you can describe it, but you can't really judge them. In the animal kingdom, people are, I mean, not people, well, sometimes people, animals are killed and the other animal that kills eats the flesh and survives. But there's no murder in the animal kingdom. Um, Same thing with rape in the animal kingdom. But when you get into humanity, we have this moral code. And so if God does not exist, perhaps moral values and duties do not exist. But interestingly enough, there's a communist um, philosopher named Slavoj Zizek. He's a really wacky guy to watch. You probably don't want to watch him too much. But um, interestingly enough, something he said to, me, uh, said to me, he didn't talk to me. Something he said on YouTube, I'm having a rough night, is... Uh, He thinks the opposite. If God exists, then everything is permitted. And his reasoning is, whatever you define as God, you are morally obligated to follow that God. And if that God isn't the true God, if that God himself is evil and corrupt, then that legitimizes anything that you do in the name of God. That's how the Crusades came about, right? Doing it all in the name of God and murdering people. And you see that in our society even today that people will call themselves Christians and appeal to the Bible and say, this is the word of God and therefore I'm acting according to my faith. But then you look at the world around us and you see all the turmoil, all the chaos and you ask the question, what possibly can change the world 
for good. Some people think all they have to do is post the right information on social media and uh, people's minds will be changed, hearts will be won, and they will know the truth. But what I've seen, and probably what you've seen too, is it only intensifies people's positions. It doesn't actually change them. So somebody puts out a post and then you have the common stream and just like, no, this is wrong. You didn't watch this video. You didn't do that thing. People get really heated, but you don't often see people change their opinion from somebody's comment or somebody's rant or somebody's Instagram story. Usually people are locked in. But if that's true, then what in the world is going to bring unity to our country, to our world? Well, tonight our study is talking about the power of belief. And my proposition for tonight is this. Right belief in a righteous God produces right change. Right belief in a righteous God produces right change. Everybody has values, right? All of us have things that we use to judge the world and our decisions on a, on a daily basis. Some people value their family. Some people value their work. But whatever your highest values are, that's the filter through which you see the world. And so if you are valuing your job over everything else, it's most important that I make money. I define myself my, by my ability to make money. Or I define myself by my beauty or, or looks or whatever. If you start to define yourself by those things and value yourself by those things, then everything else will come underneath that, even your relationship with God. And so the question is, is God the thing that you value the most? Or is he in the way of the thing that you value the most? Because what Jesus says in Matthew is, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. So if you seek God first, he's actually the only person that can rightfully be the most valued. If you value anything else over God, there's gonna be problems. If, if I value my family over anything and anyone else, that leads to tribalism. That leads to me worshiping the family. And, any, and that sometimes comes at the cost of your neighbor because you see that we live in a world full of sin. And now I'm thinking about my utmost priority is saving my family from this evil world. So we're gonna go into the middle of nowhere in, in the country, live on a farm, and we'll be away from outside influence. That's what the monks believed, is evil was somewhere out there. And if we can just get alone, then we'll be able to be safe. But by doing that, I am not valuing the fact that there are people that still need Jesus. So yes, I, I do value my family and I do love my family more than other people. That's proper, but I value God even above that. By loving God, I'm able to properly love my family and love my neighbor. So we'll dig into that, but let's, let's look at this passage we just read. Some background, you have the multitudes that were following Jesus 2000 years ago. They were fed, 5,000 of them. It was a miracle. Wow, this is amazing. How in the world are we gonna be able to uh, feed this many people? And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they did. They fed 5,000 people, there's stuff left over. And people were, were ready to there and then make Jesus king. And so Jesus said, I have to get out of here because my purpose is not to become an earthly king. It's to be a heavenly king, right? So what Jesus did is that he went to be alone and his disciples went on a boat across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
then Jesus miraculously caught up by walking on the water, jumps on the boat, and then the boat like teleports to the other side. I'm not making it up. It's in the Bible. So then you have all those multitudes that are just like, wait, how do we get that guy who just like made all the food appear? We, we want another free meal. So they chase Jesus down and then they're like, oh, it's Rabbi, when did you come here? Fancy seeing you here. Wow, look at, look at this. I mean, we just saw you yesterday and here you are again. This is great. And so they're asking Jesus this question of why did you, or when did you get here? But obviously they weren't really interested in Jesus. They were interested in what Jesus was gonna give them. And so verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus challenges their motivation. Why are you seeking me? Obviously, it's because they just want to see him do more miraculous works. And later, actually, in verse 30, you see that he refuses to perform for the crowds. But they said, well, what sign are you going to give us to prove that this time you're really God? And he said that I am the bread of life. I am the sign. So looking at the very beginning of this passage, up with what we read thus far, I think it's, it's a good time to ask the question, um, how are you building your life? How are you building your ministry? What is the most prominent thing about you, about your persona? Maybe for a church, a church could be built on entertainment. And because that's the thing that they value the most is making sure that people come in, they have a great experience, they pay a lot of money to be able to have an amazing set and worship team and, and all the best talents and everything like that. But people come to your church, when, pe- when people come to your church that's built on enter- entertainment, they'll never come when you take the entertainment away. So whatever you're building the church upon is how people will continue to come and stay. But on a personal level, because maybe you're not a church leader, um, how are you building your social media persona? Are you doing it for the crowds? Are you one of those people? Which is probably 99.9% of all people in here. Um, Are you one of those people that you decide what to post based on how it's received? And maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's the way that you dress. Do you choose to dress the way that you do just because you enjoy it? Or you try to get the attention of, of a particular someone or groups of people? Exercise. Why do we exercise? To feel good about yourself, to stay healthy? Or is that a smokescreen? Because really you're trying to feel valued about your body. Because whatever you are building your life on, building your persona on, is a thing that you're gonna continually value and everything else is gonna fold into that. And I can't miss my routine. I can't miss, you know, whatever. These things that are so important to us. But for Christians, we should have an audience of one. There's only one person I have to worry about. And that's Jesus Christ. And I wanna live towards him. So now my social media, my image, my exercise, all of that is fulfilling his vision on my life. I want to be in shape, not necessarily because I want to draw everybody's attention, but I want to be in shape because I want to be here on this earth maximizing my time. I want to discipline myself. I want to be healthy. I want to use my social media to the glory of God, which means there are people in this world who don't know him, 
but might follow me on Instagram. And so I have an opportunity to share his love with other people. Look at verse 27. So Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures the everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God the father has set his seal on him. Basically what I'm rambling about at this point is just this question. Why do you seek Jesus? Why do you seek Jesus? Are you seeking him for that which perishes or that which endures? First John chapter two, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, Buddhists will tell you that all desire is bad. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity teaches that the desire to do bad things is bad because desire is inescapable. Even if you say, I, um, I don't wanna desire anything, you desire to not desire things. You can't escape it. We all have passions, desires, and they drive the way that we live. So the Bible gives us a pathway to escape the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the things of this world, the temporary things that are passing away. And that's to love God's things, love eternity, store up your treasures in heaven. So it's always about, as maybe you've heard before, it's overcoming a passion with a greater passion. That's what allows you. Because sometimes people think Christianity is about repression. I have this desire. I know it's bad. I know I shouldn't do it. So I'm just gonna bottle it up and hope that eventually goes away. But God has so much better for us that we can look forward to that helps us to be deterred from a sinful lifestyle. It's like the person who's starving, just gorges himself on anything. But a person who receives daily from his heavenly father, what he needs is able to put away the junk food. So the lust of the eyes, how do I turn away from that? How do I turn away from lust, looking at things I shouldn't be looking at, checking girls out? Well, I remember that I have a greater passion to love my wife and honor her. And when I'm funneling my energy in that direction, there's less of the temptation to indulge in things that are cheap. I'm thinking about my family. What would happen to me? I mean, think about this. Have you ever thought about this? I could ruin my testimony right now and be disqualified from ministry in five minutes today if I just pick up my phone and go to the wrong site. Think about the access you have to sin. And you wonder why you're tempted. You wonder why it's hard to be able to follow the Lord. It's because Satan's using every strategy he can to pull you away from the things of God. Because he knows if you enter into God's realm and you see God's things and you taste God's mission, you won't want any of those things. Listen, no judgment here. I know some of you are partying and going out, getting drunk the next morning. You're puking in the toilet and you're saying, I just, I know this was a bad idea. I'll never do it again. You're praying, right? Some of you are like that. But if only you could tap into and see 
the joy of the mission that God has for you, the calling. You'll waste your life on anything and everything if you don't know what you're actually valued and created to do. So it's not just the lust of the eyes. It could be the lust of the flesh. I turn away from the lust of the flesh, the desire for power, the desire for money, the desire to be able to indulge in things that make me feel good. It could be addictions, alcohol, or drugs. I turn away from those things. Why? I have a greater passion for my family. I don't want to destroy my life. And I, I love my children. And so because of that, I'm going to turn away from the things I know are going to cheapen that experience and the joy that God has for me and my family. I also turn away from the pride of life for my neighbor. Because if I am full of myself, I see everybody as a means to an end. And your means is to be able to make me happy, make me fulfilled. And I look at every relationship as how can I take advantage of this relationship? How can I use this connection to be able to build my resume, build up my image? That's what the pride of life does. It says, wouldn't it be great if you were worshiped? Wouldn't it be great if people looked to you and they said um, you are, that you are the one person that they can count on? But instead, because I love my neighbor, I know the most healthy thing that I could do is serve in humility for the person who's lost. Not come up like I have all the answers. Like that's how, I mean, maybe you've seen it. There's like the celebrity pastor thing. And I just don't think I'll ever be a celebrity pastor. Even if I had a ton of people come to a church one day, like it just, I'm not a celebrity person, right? I don't have that persona. No one looks at me and goes like, well, that guy. Yeah, I want to be just like him. Not even my kids want to do that. Sad moment, just kidding. Um, but if I'm thinking about how can I serve other people? That's the way of Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus wasn't handsome. It says that in Isaiah. He has, he has the appearance of a man, but he doesn't have anything that would draw us to him naturally and say, wow, that's a winsome person. And for us as well, we need to be focusing on the joy that is found in putting others before ourselves. So in other words, do not labor for the food which perishes. Because if you do, if you chase after the temporary things in this world, you will only follow God as long as he keeps your dream alive. You see him as the path to the thing that you really want. It's like, I will follow God as long as he brings a special someone in my life. But if I'm still single in 10 years, then I'm leaving. Because you prayed and you fasted and you're thinking about well, surely God's not gonna withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. Here I am, righteous living, and I still haven't seen it yet. You know, the multitudes were, the, were, were ready to make Jesus king when he was feeding the 5,000, but they were nowhere to be found when Jesus was on trial. So why do you seek God? Why are you following him? If it hasn't happened yet, like especially your early 20-somethings, you're at the age where you're gonna to start to see your friends walk away from the Lord. I think the majority of us here are followers of Jesus, but you're gonna see it because you're at an age where nobody's saying, you need to go to youth group. You need to go to church. And some of you don't come to church on Sunday. And that's not a knock. I'm just saying, this is the truth. You have the ability to do whatever you want. And their parents aren't supposed to. Poke into that because you're an adult. 
So now you have to own your faith. What are my convictions when it comes to alcohol? Where are my convictions when it comes to marijuana? Where are my convictions when it comes to language and things that I say and how many times I should read and should I go to church? Should I serve? And what should I pursue? All those decisions are your own decisions. No one can force you to do anything. So a lot of people at this age, during this time, they start to jump ship because Jesus was a means to their treasure. He was a path to get what they really want. But if only you could see the wonderful things that God has for us when we pursue eternity. Jesus is kind of quoting here, Isaiah 55, verse one through two. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. If you've been listening to the Proverbs podcast, you probably got this point by now, but here's the thing. You're making your own decisions right now. No one's telling you what to do. But right now in your theoretical realm, you look at sin and it's desirable to the eyes, desirable to the flesh, can make one wise. You look at sin and you're like, maybe it's not as bad. Maybe I've been lied to. You start hanging out with people that aren't Christians and that's, that's like your main community now. And you're like, everybody was wrong about these people. They're, they're nicer than my Christian friends. And you're slowly walking away from the Lord, not realizing that you will, you will be in a perpetual cycle to fulfill the flesh. You'll never be satisfied. It doesn't matter if you have the most beautiful person on the planet as your girlfriend or boyfriend. It doesn't matter because you'll never be satisfied. There's something missing and it's God. And you know it. You know deep down inside that I'm right. God is only the one who can truly satisfy you. And here's the thing, it's free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to labor for the food that perishes. Instead, pursue the things of eternal life. And to do that, you don't have to pay any money. So why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if you went to the supermarket, bought bread, and you were leaving, and you're like, oh, this is actually one of the models we keep out you know, on the shelves. It's not real bread, it's plastic. Oh, I'll take it anyway. You know, I went through all the effort and I just, I'm exhausted. I just wanna take it, I'll, I'll take it home. People are spending money on things that truly cannot satisfy. Let's continue on, verse 28. They said to him, the multitudes, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? The question that they're asking is like, okay, so I, I heard what you said, food that perishes, endures. Yeah, okay. Um, how do we do what you did? I wanna know how we can work the works of God. And so Jesus answers and says, says to them, verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus is saying, you got it all wrong. You think that you need to find the path to become super religious, a celebrity, well-known, be able to perform miracles and people say, wow, you really are a man or a woman of God. Wow, you're anointed. That's amazing. You're so encouraging. That's what you're looking for. But here's the work of God. Here's the one thing that you have to do. Notice how he says works versus work. How can we work the works of God? And Jesus says, there's only one work. Only one job, believe in me. That's it. 
That is your task. Our responsibility is to believe in Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, God, I want to do amazing things for you. But if it's out of the wrong motivation because you're pursuing the works and not the Lord behind the works, you're going to be in trouble. It's like Simon the sorcerer who saw in the book of Acts chapter eight, he saw all the disciples kind of doing these healings and doing these miracles. And he says, how much do I have to pay in order to do what you did? Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to him, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. People think, oh, okay. I, all I have to do is go to the wilderness for 70 days, not see a single soul and pray and pray and pray. And when I come out, God's gonna give me exactly what I want. I remember when I went to um, Youth Workers Conference in 2009, I prayed a prayer and I recorded it too, where I was taking a gap year from college and I was trying to figure out what God was gonna have me do with my life. So I gave him three options, which, you know, I think was really generous of me. And I said, Lord, I'll be an actor, a musician, or a photographer, which is funny because I don't do any of those things right now. But I was so certain, like, those are the three options. Let me know. I got one year to figure this out. And he never told me anything because he had an option that was completely beyond my understanding. And when he actually asked me to do this thing, you know what my, my uh, response was? Why? Why would, like, I don't wanna do that. I remember telling people all the time that I would never wanna work at church because I would, oh, this is offensive. I remember seeing people that worked at the church and how miserable they were and stressed out. And then I walk around the hallways like this. Oh, doing the work of the Lord. It's hard. Pray for me. And I was like, I don't want that. I don't want, it, I don't want my job to be going to church. And now, now it's not like having fun, serving in youth ministry and stuff. Now I have to go to church. All that stuff was just not appetizing to me. But then I was just like, and why would they even want me? I don't, I never went to Bible college. I don't have any background studying the Bible. So it was just very confusing to me. But then I was like, but, but what if God is actually asking me to do this? I don't want to go the rest of my life wondering what could have happened if I just said yes to the call of God. And you don't know because you've been so busy laboring for the food that perishes that you haven't seen all that God has in store. John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. John 20, verse 31. The book of John was written that you may believe that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Romans 10, 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's your responsibility. That's your work. That's your job. Just believe. And uh, I have a, a close friend who's not a believer. I'm working on him, still praying for him. And uh, that, that was one of his biggest hangups with Christianity. He could not understand why someone could just believe, like live a terrible life and then believe in God and go to heaven. It just seems too easy, so simple. But actually, I'm gonna make a case that believing is the hardest thing to change. I mean, don't you see that right now? Think about how difficult it is to change people's beliefs. Political views, you know, how hard is it to change somebody's political views? 
How hard is it to change people's religion? How hard is it to change people's views on how to set the roll of toilet paper, right? Like over or under, it's always over. But people are passionate and they have these things that they hold dear. These are my values I will die for. Beliefs are powerful. In fact, sadly, cults have been started this way. Um, there was the cult called the People's Temple of the Disciples of Christ. 900 of them committed suicide. That's where you get the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. You have the Branch Davidians that all burned in a fire. 75 people died. How does that happen? With their belief. Because if you believe that David Crush is actually sent by God, then you're gonna follow and do things according to that belief. If you believe that the only solution for this world is if Trump gets reelected or if Biden gets elected, if that is your firm belief, then you're gonna act accordingly. But if your belief is that God is sovereign, he's on the throne, then it doesn't matter what happens around the world because you know, ultimately, everyone has to answer to God. And God has a mission for us. So belief, that's our job. And that could be very, very hard to change in anyone. So is that a futile attempt? Should we even bother trying to change people's beliefs? Should we even have the conversation if we know people are gonna be so stubborn and so set in their ways? So what do we do? Well, here's the good news. Our job is to aim to preach the good news of Jesus Christ at people's hearts. I can't change people's beliefs. You know what can? This book. This book is so powerful that people read it and their lives are transformed forever. This book is so powerful that people who are at their wits end, people that are ready to commit suicide, people that are in a dark place, this gives them light. Because these are the words of the very creator God who made everything, the world and everything in it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents, intents of the heart. This book has the power to transform the world. And it's, it's interesting because I've thought about what is the most powerful thing that I've done with my life, right? Like what's the most influential thing that I've done? And there's a lot of things I'd like to do, a lot of hobbies I have, and I, I love talking to people one-on-one -on -one and having conversations. But I realize if I stick to this book, every transformational conversation I've ever had surrounds it. It's being able to, I mean, and you've had this happen too, right? Like I've, I've had it happen. I'd be sitting in an audience, listening to some guy talk about the Bible. And suddenly I'm, I'm not hearing a guy anymore. I know that I'm hearing from God. He's speaking directly to me in that moment. That's a spiritual thing. You can't manufacture that. You can't fake that. That's something that God's spirit has to do. When he melts somebody's heart and that person in their seat goes, ah, he's right, I gotta change. I have to live differently. So instead of looking at beliefs and going, the whole thing's futile. I mean, people are stubborn. People never change their minds. You don't know until you take this book and you start sharing it with other people. That's why it's so important, especially in a time like this, that every single day we are reading the word of God. We're in prayer. Lord, direct me to the right people that you want me to speak to. 
Help me to know your word so that I can share it with other people. I mean, I'm just amazed because I think about what is the best evangelistic strategy? What are the things that I can say? That's all well and good. And you should study those things. But I know there have been times I'm praying over somebody and you think God brings a verse to my mind. I'm like, oh, snap. And I know, I get that little feeling, you know, like that little bit of excitement. You're like, I know when I'm speaking it, it's God speaking it to their heart. So it all starts with trusting God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I say to you, if you have faith as a, as, um, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Faith in God can move mountains. But you know, there's never an instance in the Bible where a mountain was actually moved. And it's a metaphor to say anything is possible if you're willing to submit yourself to God's will and you trust him. You may be addicted to all kinds of things, but there can be freedom when you start to get in this book. So here's a good question. If you really say that you believe in God, what has your belief led you to do to substantiate that faith? What have you done as an evidence that you really believe that Jesus is Lord and you, and you trust in him. I'm standing on the stage because I believe that this stage is gonna hold me. I'm holding this microphone because I trust every time that I talk to it, it's gonna work. Sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it does. And I read this Bible because I trust and I believe even on the days I don't feel like it, that this is vital. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You may live a week without food, but could you live a week without Jesus? At some point in time, we have to recognize that Jesus is calling to us, asking even right now, come back to me, make me the main thing, believe on me. Let's look at verse 30. We'll be wrapping this up. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the, in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is talking in this argument with them back and forth and he's telling them they're, they're really not listening. Hey, when did you come here? And then he starts talking a little bit. You know, okay, so um, what do we have to do to work the works of God? Here's the work of God, believing in uh, the one that God sent. Okay, um, since we're on the topic of God, let's go back to my question. My question is, how do we, um, what sign are you gonna do for us to believe in you? If you really are God, why don't you show us more of your miracles so that this time we will finally be convinced, yes, you are God, I can, I can finally believe. And Jesus says that I am the bread of life. I am the work, I am the miracle. In the Old Testament, they reference manna. Manna was described in Exodus chapter 16, verse 31, 
It was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It was bread literally from heaven every single day. The Israelites, as they're walking in the desert, in the wilderness, no food sources anywhere, tons of people marching. God promised, I'll take care of you every single day. And there's just bread from heaven. Every morning they woke up, whoa, it's on the floor. They call it manna, which means literally, what is it? They didn't know, what is it? So that's what we'll call it. And every day they ate the manna. But did you know, even as these people are quoting, saying like, hey, Moses gave us manna, what are you gonna give us? Even the people of Israel started to complain about the manna. Really? Same thing every day? I have to read the Bible again today? Really? They didn't see that it's a type of Jesus, that Jesus will daily and eternally save us and give us that spiritual nourishment. Jesus said that manna was a type. It was an expression, a symbol, so that in the future, you would realize that you need me. Do you see Jesus as your bread in the wilderness? Do you see Jesus as the nourishment that you need in a time of a pandemic? In a time when things aren't fully open and you're just exhausted by all the rules and masks and and whatever. You're just over it. And it's, people are going through depression. It's a real thing. But do you see Jesus as the daily manna, the daily bread that you and I need to go on and survive? Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, said this, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I think times like this, God takes away the distractions. You know, there was a time when COVID first started, no one's able to see anybody. We're all stuck in our houses. You know, strip clubs were shut down. Bars were shut down. People weren't able to go back to the sin that they were so consumed by. But now things are open again. And people can start to forget about God getting their attention, saying, all you really need is me. You know, you guys are there with with us, right? Like you didn't have a job. How are we gonna make ends meet? You start freaking out. But sometimes in those times, that's when you, you can hear God the clearest because there's nothing else in the way. Verse 36. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. God's salvation is not contingent upon the amount of your belief. God's hand to save you is not weighing completely on whether or not you believe in him. It's almost like a roller coaster, which I'm not a fan of roller coasters, but there's always that like, I know it's safe. I know everyone's gonna be fine. But then you get on it, you're like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be okay. Especially with some of the old Six Flags roller coasters like Viper back in the day, if you're that old. And uh, they have to shut it down because like, oh, this is way too dangerous. Like I literally... I was five foot, I was a freshman and I was pretty sure I was gonna fall out of that machine because like, you know, the shoulder rested like this high and I'm like holding on for dear life. 
There's a difference between knowing something and then actually walking by faith and believing, putting your trust in something. And God does not need you to have perfect faith. He just needs you to get on the roller coaster. It's like in Mark chapter nine, verse 24, there was a father of a child that was sick and he cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God wants to help your unbelief today. God wants to help your doubt. God wants to take you as you are. And he's gonna be faithful regardless of whether or not you have faith in him. But you still need to take that step of surrender and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like you're all I need. I don't know if I feel that way. I feel like I do need this, 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 and this. Even for, my, for myself, with my family, like, I got four kids now. Like, how in the world am I going to make this work? Like, they're going to go to college, and they're going to eat more and more food, and they're going to be harder and harder to figure out. How am I going to make this work? But then I have to remember, Jesus is all that I truly need, and all he needs from me is to believe. So in conclusion, what is holding you back from, from putting your full trust in him? Are you the kind of person that says, well, I still need more signs. You haven't done enough. I think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told about there was a poor man named Lazarus and both of them died. And uh, there's this unique picture of heaven and hell. And Lazarus is um, up there in, in Abraham's bosom and the rich man was crying out saying, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, some remembered that in your lifetime, you receive your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, there's a great goal fixed so that those that want to pass from here to, to you cannot, nor those that um, are from there pass to us. So then he says, here's the key verse. I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Essentially what he's saying is, um, if you're a person that doesn't believe, it'll never be enough. It doesn't matter if a person rises from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and people still do not believe. And it's interesting too, because I'll have some really skeptical, smart people in my life. They're not believers. And it's interesting. Anytime you talk about the Bible, anything else, they'll do the research. Oh yeah, this is what the CDC says. This is what the WHO says. They're fine looking up statistics and what's bunk and what's not tell you everything about social services, tell you everything about politics. But then you say, would you be interested in seeing if the Bible itself is the word of God? Oh, no, you know, I feel like I'm fine right now. I, I don't think I need that. But if God is real and Jesus actually is God, don't you think that is more important than anything else? Because that, that has to do with your life after your death as well. But people who are not willing to look into and believe based on what we have in this book are people that will not be convinced on anything. So to you, maybe you're not a believer tonight. Why not 
put your trust in Jesus? Why not take that step of surrender? Because if you're making an excuse now, you're gonna be making excuses for the rest of your life. But give your life to Jesus. You'll never be the same. Whatever you leave behind, God has tenfold ahead. So let's pray.